0: You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll impact the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Well, hey there. I'd like to welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations and a warm welcome to Alita Schatzman. I am so happy to have Alita back on this podcast. And let me tell you just a little bit about Alita. She is the president and founder of the Legal Accountability Project, a nonprofit aimed at ensuring that law clerks have positive clerkship experiences while extending support and resources to those who do not. Elisa earned her B.A. from Williams College and her J.D. from Washington University School of Law. After law school, she clerked in D.C. Superior Court during the 2019-220 term. She regularly writes and speaks about judicial accountability. She's been published in numerous law journals and mainstream publications. Alitza, welcome back. If anyone is interested interested in hearing part one of Alitza's journey, it's absolutely fascinating. It's episode 23, um, which is called Passionately Ensuring that Law Clerks Have Positive Experiences. Um, again, if you want to dig into sort of the backstory a little bit more. After that conversation, uh, Alitza and I talked and I was like, I really want to know more about Um, your, your, this is sort of, this is not just your passion project. Like this is your career. So let's catch me up with what has happened over the last few months since we talked, Lisa.
1: Yeah. All the things. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Yeah. So the legal accountability project, as you mentioned, basically seeks to ensure that law clerks have a positive clerkship experience and then extends support and resources to the ones who don't. And I came to this advocacy work based on my personal experience with harassment and retaliation during and after my clerkship. So I really think of the nonprofit as the resource I wish existed as a WashU law student applying for a clerkship, a law clerk facing harassment and unsure where to turn for help, and then a former clerk engaging in the formal judicial complaint process. We visited more than 20 law schools programming in the fall where I shared my experience in order to foster honest dialogue about the full range of clerkship experiences. I talked about the scope of these problematic behaviors, which are pervasive and unaddressed in both the state and federal courts. And I proposed solutions, including LAP's resources, which are really gonna transform the clerkship application process and legal profession for the next generation of attorneys. They are going to democratize information about judges, infuse transparency into an unnecessarily opaque clerkship application process and diversify clerkship applicant pools, encouraging historically marginalized groups to clerk, helping them identify safe work environments. So it went very well. Um, It was great to engage with a lot of students, a lot of law school admins who typically attended our events. And we made progress in a lot of challenging places because I really exhibited that I'm willing to go anywhere and engage with anyone. And I appreciated the feedback that I've particularly open to dialogue. So that was great. Um, and I've gotten some feedback from deans recently, that I've changed the conversation on their campuses, changed their programming and messaging around clerkships, which is really wonderful. So that's kind of where we are. I love that you didn't just come out with the
0: problem, right? You came out with solutions. And I'm sure that that helped the, the
1: receptivity by the different schools. Yeah. So we launched in June and we were already kind of planning this tour, At the time I was pitching the programming, I didn't really realize how interconnected the programming would be with the initiatives and getting law schools on board with our centralized clerkships reporting database. But it was really important for me to go there and engage with students. It was an educational tour for them, but it was also informative for me because it taught me law school admins' uh, concerns. It gave me some ideas of what their questions would be, it enabled me to retool. I am a legal tech founder at this point, yeah. uh, but I don't have a tech at all. And so I rely on our database engineers and retooling along with them. So we figured out what would work and what wouldn't, what schools were willing to do and what they weren't. I think a lot of law school admins, it was important for them to engage with me, see that I really was not antagonizing anybody, just trying to advocate on these issues, really convey the urgency of these problems. Um, you know, I think coming at this from my personal experience is really important. I think more founders and executive directors should be advocating based on their personal experience. I think it's what got me in the door with some administrations. Um, yeah. I love that you are approaching this
0: with a sense of urgency. Um, when we talked back in the fall of 2022, I honestly did not realize that your short, your story from graduating law school to where you were was so short, right? Like you, you didn't sit around on the issues and the challenges that you had, right? You saw the problem and you said, damn it, I'm going to fix it. Or I'm going to do everything I can to make this situation better for other people. And you have approached it, approached this with a sense of urgency. You stated in an email to me that, um, you've spent a lot of time thinking about the messaging um, behind LAP, specifically whether my statements are strong enough to convey the urgency of the issues. So I want to ask you about the urgency. Why? Why is this
1: so urgent to you? Yeah, I did kind of want to back up and pick up on something else you said, yeah. um, the short timelines. <laughs> so I was working as a family law attorney when my written testimony before the House Judiciary Court Subcommittee became public in March. Mm-hmm. I quit my job um, a couple weeks later in April. Before the nonprofit yes. Yep. Before the nonprofit was a fully formed idea. The first school I reached out to was My Alma Mater to pitch these ideas, uh, including an internal post-clerkship survey of alumni, uh, keeping it in a searchable internal database, internal to Washu, doing a follow-up protocol of alums to see who's having a positive experience and who might not be and circulating a list of students who are planning to clerk and who they're clerking for. Because in my experience with WashU, I later found out professors and the clerkship director knew the judge who harassed me had harassed other clerks. So I shared all those things with the Dean of WashU at the time. Um, He kind of sat on those ideas and I realized a centralized database would be a better idea anyway, to democratize the information to prevent data hoarding by a few law right, schools right. to, uh, emphasize information sharing. So yeah, it was a tight timeline. And when we went right. on our fall tour, the database was already a working prototype. Um, we did not want to, we didn't have time to gather information throughout the fall and then figure out how to do the database. We, we we're doing both. And right. You built, that so that you built the you Sorry? kind of built the plane as you as you started flying. Oh, I oh, I definitely, definitely built the plane while flying. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. But I knew I knew that that was what we were going to do. I knew that we needed the publicity from the launch in June to go on this tour to gain momentum. And I know there were definitely people who thought, oh, uh, a female former law clerk talking about harassment by a judge. I don't know how that's going to go over. I don't know if there is a market for that there is an enormous market for that. And law clerks and attorneys and law school admins reach out to me every day to thank me and confide in me and express interests. I love it when law school deans reach out to me. And then I'm like, I'm already engaging with your administration, but thank you for your support. Like that's always wonderful. Right. Um, the urgency of the messaging. So I've been speaking publicly about this for close to a year now. When I was a student at WashU Law applying for clerkships in 2017 and 2018, uh, nobody was talking about gender discrimination or harassment in clerkships. Um, and when I was reaching out to AUSAs and public defenders who had appeared before the judge for whom I clerked to get information as I was applying and interviewing for this clerkship. I wasn't seeking information about workplace conduct. I was trying to figure out how to get this clerkship. That was not even something I was thinking about. It was not in the conversation. Now it's a little bit more in the conversation because I have pushed this forward. Um, I knew that these issues were not being discussed on law school campuses. I wanted to change the conversation. And we have done that. And that is great. But I started saying when I began speaking publicly in March 2022, in conjunction with my written testimony, that these issues are pervasive and unaddressed and law clerks cannot wait another year for these urgently needed reforms. Nine months later, they're even more urgent. um, And I cannot convey strongly enough, the number of students and current former clerks and attorneys of all ages all diverse identities, all corners of the legal profession who share with me their personal stories of mistreatment. Mm. They almost uniformly convey to me that they did not share this with their law schools. Think of your law school deans and clerkship director. They're probably wonderful people. I have no idea. They are not really the first people you're going to reach out to if you are harassed by a life-tenured federal judge. Mm -hmm. But the fact that people are not reporting back to their law schools enables some law schools to discount the scope of the problem, to disclaim responsibility for problematic behaviors. Law schools don't love me saying that I think they are part of the problem, but they can and should be part of the solution. But that does not make it less true. There are some law schools that know about judges who harass their clerks and do not share that with students. There are law school clerkship directors and deans who dissuade law clerks who face mistreatment from reporting that in a post-clerkship survey. I'm interfacing with more than 70 law schools. And it's not just the clerkships director and the dean of career services. It is alums, students, law clerks, folks who have access to those post-clerkship surveys and those databases. So law clerks have have been very willing to share with me, in addition to what their administration share with me. So I have a very good idea of what some administrators are doing or not doing, and it is so painful for me to see people continuing to discount the scope of the problem. LAP is generally very well received on law school campuses, certainly by the students, usually by the administrators. There are a couple admins doing some really outrageous stuff, which I think we'll talk about, but... I think a lot about the messaging for the nonprofit and statements that are strong enough to convey the urgency. Um, And I, I speak on behalf of law clerks and students who may not be fully empowered to buck their administrations, who may not be fully empowered to speak out about their negative experiences. And I worry that even law schools that are engaging productively with me think well, the vast majority of our students are gonna have a positive experience, but this might help the handful. Uh-huh. I don't think that's true. And there is no data either way to confirm or deny. So I worry when I hear folks say, 99% of our students have a positive experience, but I like LAP anyway. Uh-huh. No, I, I don't think that's true. Um, And I try to think of strong statements like that and balancing them with knowing that a lot of law school admins follow my statements closely, uh-huh are interested in what I'm saying, messaging that keeps them on board, doesn't alienate anybody. I think people kind of know that this is my brand, strong statements, and they give me some running room, and I appreciate that, but I cannot emphasize enough, and I worry that I don't enough, that these issues are pervasive, Mm -hmm. and law students do not have the information they need before applying for clerkships regardless of how robust law schools convey that their resources are. Those are not resources aimed at avoiding judges who mistreat their clerks. Those are resources aimed at funneling more students into clerkships. And while I certainly don't dissuade anybody from clerking, I think clerking is a great option for lots of people. We need to empower students with information. And for the handful of schools that are not engaging productively with me, if you are a student or an alum of one of those schools, you should ask yourself, why wouldn't the law school want me to have more information about judges?
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is <laughs> this is uh, an important point here that law schools have an incentive to get as many students as possible into clerkship programs. So I think that people need to really understand kind of where that, why, where they have sort of like a, if there's any resistance to what you have to offer. they
1: there's some misaligned incentives. Misaligned there. incentives yes. is an excellent way to put it. Yes. <laughs> law schools don't like it when I say that either, <laughs> but it's interesting because regardless of who I talk to in the legal profession, regardless of what they're doing now, how liberal, how conservative, whether they went to a T5 or a regional school, it doesn't matter everybody is identifying that same problem of misaligned incentives. Mm. It is literally just a handful of clerkship directors who say, that's not true at all. But then they follow that up with, yes, we tell students to accept the first clerkship we are offered. Yes. Our post clerkship survey would never ask about mistreatment. Like I'm thinking of a handful of admins as I'm sharing all this. Mm -hmm. Um, There are really misaligned incentives there. Law well, schools could bolster their clerkship programs, get the same number or more folks to clerk, but the focus could be on a positive experience and empowering people with information. It doesn't have to be just a number of placements, Correct. period. Yeah. More of an objective approach. So
0: let's talk really quickly about the database. I'm curious. Um, I know that you said that you built your, you, you were kind of building the plane as you were flying it. The information, would you... Can you tell me a little bit about the information inside that database? Like if, if I was a, a law student who was considering a clerkship, what would I learn there if I got into the database and if I had access to it? And I presume that anyone has access to it or no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> not, anyone, no, not any old, not anyone off the street. Okay. So yeah, tell me, I'm curious about
1: this. Yeah. So a couple of things about the database. Um, the database is not a public access website. Okay. Okay. Judges don't have access, journalists don't have access. Mm. The only people who can read reports in the database are students and young alums from participating law schools. Okay. Participating with the law schools means they sign a contract with LAP, mm-hmm. they send our post clerkship survey to their alumni this winter and spring, and they pay a subscription fee of $5 per student per year, based on their total JD enrollment and in exchange their students considering a clerkship or an externship read all the reports, not just their alum's reports, all the reports. All of them. Okay. The admins, clerkship director, dean of career services, dean of judicial clerkships also get read access to the reports. So. We are working to identify our initial set of law school partners and talk about like retooling, building a plane while flying it. I definitely overshot the timelines for getting law schools on board. It's okay. That's, yeah, that's okay. We have several entities in the legal community, including the National Association of Women Lawyers oh. and one or two others. We're going to be sending out our post clerkship survey to their membership later this winter. Yes. I am very grateful for those collaborations. Mm-hmm. These are very friendly orgs in the legal community who understand the urgency and importance of LAP's work. So that's great, but that does not replace getting law schools on board. That fills out the database, ensures a positive user experience for students uh, for our first slate of law school partners. We still wanna partner with as many law schools as possible this winter, this school year, and then everybody we don't get this year, we'll go back to them next year. So that's how the database works. So how many law schools are there in the US? Apparently there are more than 190. Okay. And you currently are working with approximately 70? Yeah, it's more than 70 at this point. Right. And we're Not at a- all different stages yeah. with every school. I've had at least an initial conversation with more than 70. Mm-hmm. I have drafted the final vendor proposal for the database, which I am sending out to about 40 law schools this week and next week. Um, and you know, I, like I said, I don't have a legal tech background. I also don't have a business background. This is my first venture. And so I probably did not get out in front of a little bit of criticism about the database. Um, I thought I was going to field individual inquiries about things like data security and privacy and a couple bad faith actors who are not going to partner with LAP until they are very pressured to do so Mm -hmm. they can say oh data privacy concerns and then just shut the conversation down and I'm not going to respond to every little piece of criticism on a listserv as annoyed as it makes me to hear that especially from a handful of law schools that I know are not ensuring data security with their own students information yeah and are kind of making some misrepresentations about LAP and me and our work. Well, this kind of goes along
0: with um, another point that I think we need to talk about is that um, you said approximately 50% of law schools turn over their data each year. And there's some overlap between law schools who are resistance, resistant to emailing their law clerk alumni with LAP survey with intent of protecting student alumni, students and alumni from harassment. Um, But they will share that data with the ABA. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice.
2: Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice? Selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law. Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. So the ABA each year, the membership arm, not the accreditation folks, the membership arm. Reach out to every law school and ask for a full list of their student names and email addresses. And 50% of those law schools just turn them over to the ABA. So the ABA can solicit students for membership. Sure. Um, and yet there are law schools that say, yeah, we will not even email your post survey to our alums. Interesting. There, There is some overlap between law schools that are hard to work with between me and them and law schools that are turning over this information to the ABA. And I definitely think students should be aware of that. I mean, the the ABA also does law school accreditation, but um, I am not asking for like personally identifiable info for the law schools to like turn that over. This is affording their students and alumni the opportunity to create an account and get information about judges who mistreat their clerks, good judges to apply to, It really concerns me that they do this. So So this is not the only thing that concerns you. You've
0: also heard challenging things from clerkship directors, including female clerkship directors, which I think is really rich. They're almost all women. They're almost all women. Yeah. Yeah, Right. (laughs) It's like, hey, where are our fellow advocates? Um, you said I think a helpful refresher on some outrageous things I hear from again female I like you're reading my email yeah. <laughs> live. admins would be helpful so let's talk about some of those outrageous things that you've heard
1: yep so there are four or five the first is I don't need your project I know about all the judges I don't need you I already know all a handful the yeah all the judges all the judges now n- i know that none of the people who claim they know about all the judges actually know about all the judges but that's fine that's one two uh it is not harassment is not happening in clerkships it's just women adjusting to their first jobs that's so patronizing don't you think
0: like it's, yes. it's oh just it's just the poor girls like as they come out into the workforce they just really can't really handle it like the guys can. So they're just, they're the ones just adjusting to their first jobs. That's lovely.
1: Yeah. Uh, That admin then proceeded to tell me a story about an alum who she claimed was um, lying about harassment to get out of her clerkship. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I've had a couple of schools, including my alma mater, tell me it is our official policy that we do not warn students about judges who harass their clerks. I told uh our deans that i thought that was outrageous
0: policy- <laughs> <Anyone moved. laughs> I that, I can't, okay first of all so there's a poll there's a reason to have a policy right so okay yeah i i can't i just can't okay and what is the other one that's that's
1: oh there's two more there's okay. two more um one clerkships direct- director told me We're blessed to only work with good judges. Uh, All our alums have a positive clerkship experience.
0: All of them. Okay, you got to be careful when we're making, you know, broad statements like that.
1: That admin also tells students on her campus that I want to, quote, abolish clerkships. Oh, okay. (laughs) So let's just,
0: that's exactly what you want to do. You're not, you haven't (laughs) built a plane or a database as you're flying it, right? to want to ultimately
1: abolish clerkships that 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 makes a lot of sense okay yeah and then the last one there is one law school administration that has just refused to speak with me even though I was on their campus in the fall I'm going back in the spring and that clerkships director emailed me and said I'm not going to speak with you because I don't want to undermine the good work that the ABA and NALP do on this issue so I've reached out to the ABA and now and I told students this at our event there in the fall and they both conveyed to me that they don't work on these and, issues. They don't even do this. Okay.
0: All right. So you've, you've had pushback. So let's okay. Let's go to some positive <laughs> things. Okay. What is the most positive response or experience that you've had over the, this
1: last like fall term of 2022? the most positive experience. Um, there is Dean who I am working with, told me that my visit and my work have changed the messaging on her campus about how they talk about clerkships and how they do programming. Wow. Change the messaging. Yep, change the messaging, change the programming. Um, I've received other feedback like that, but that is somebody who I respect enormously um and i just thought that was great so wow that's that's awesome
0: so i'm curious what is next for lap and you over the next few months spring of
1: 2023 yeah so the database is a working prototype it was built over the summer by our engineers i am actively raising money for the final build and working with our engineers on that um, we are trying to identify our initial set of law school partners, okay. and I am basically trying to do all the things as I do that. I'm still optimistic that 10 to 20 schools will partner with us this year, and it will supplement law school's existing resources. Two to three years down the road, we hope we will partner with all 100-plus law schools and we'll supplant law school's existing resources. So right now, I am going back out on the road this spring, visiting mm-hmm. more schools for initial programming and follow-up diversity focused programming, so we're doing that, interfacing with more law school admins, deans, and clerkship directors. Um, We have other initiatives coming down the pike, but I really think that the database this year is our major initiative getting these law schools on board. This is the best way on the front end to ensure positive clerkship experiences, to enable people to identify the good judges to apply to, and maybe the not so great ones to avoid, or to go in with your eyes really wide open about how this judge provides feedback, how they treat their clerks. Law clerks are not protected by Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. There's a real dearth of workplace protection. Yes, it is. It can be a very unsafe work environment, which makes it so important, considering the outsized influence that a clerkship will have over your future career success that you identify the right one on the front end. And what I've said to law schools and continue to say, no law school has a monopoly on info about judges. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows about all the judges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every single school, whether you are a regional school, whether you are a T5, whether you are somewhere in between, has a ceiling on the number of judges you can keep track of. And it totally depends on who your alums have clerked for in the past. And as we talked about before, even to the extent you have info about judges who mistreat their clerks, there are misaligned incentives that often preclude that info from getting shared by the folks who have it with the folks who need it. The people who have it are the admins, Mm -hmm. deans, clerkship directors, the people who need it, students, the next generation of thinkers and advocates. And so this is so important. I think that for law schools to partner with us this year. It really sends a message that they are doing the right thing, that they are trying to improve the clerkship experience for every student and alumnus. And for the ones that don't, they are kind of hindering our initiatives. They are, their students are gonna go another year without these desperately needed resources. Um, I'm gonna do everything in my power to get as many schools as possible to partner with us. And uh, I'm excited for the spring. I'm really excited for you,
0: Lisa. I know that you're going to do great things. And I, I know that your career is going in a direction that you probably never even envisioned. But I think that that at the same time is is just a really beautiful thing. Um, So t- two things. Uh, I really would love to have you back on the podcast. Um, maybe this summer, we'll talk about it later, uh, because I, I do want to continue to keep in touch and, and know what's going on so that we can um you know the listeners can continue to follow you in lap and also how just kind of as we part here can you just tell us how we can tangibly just you know people like me who are not law clerks or who were never law clerks right um just anyone listening to this how can they help your your endeavor
1: in lap there's a couple things If you are an attorney, you are a law school alumnus from somewhere. What we have had a lot of success with is alums reaching out to their alma mater, clerkship director and deans, and conveying, this is a resource I wish existed when I was a law student, either a law student applying for clerkships, or I would have applied if I'd had this resource. We've had a lot of success there. It is alumni outreach. I've been cc'd on some wonderful messages by some great alums, including some judges, saying I'm a judge and I went here and I support LAP and students should know more about us judges so um, that is always helpful. If you are a student, you can meet with your administration, do a petition or a sign on letter, send emails, urge them to partner with LAP. I've been really heartened by the student advocacy on a lot of law school campuses, students who are really galvanized to go to their administrations and demand they partner with us, and that has been great. Um, And then, you know, I'm always looking for people to financially support LAP, donate to us. Um, I also don't have a development background, and yet here I am, fundraising. (laughs) Um, So we can, financial support is great too, but it's all the above. It's following us on social media, resharing content, conveying your support. Um, you know, it's probably a little bit harder to raise money and advocate on judicial accountability than some of the friendly nonprofits who work on like diversity in the clerkship applicant pool. Sure. But we work on those issues too. And this is really not a controversial issue and it's not a partisan one either. And it is just so important <laughs> We have seen the messaging around safe workplaces really change over the past couple of years in a variety of industries. Um, The legal profession has kind of resisted that change, and the judiciary certainly has. But I really think the positive change is headed to law schools and the judiciary. This year, I'm already seeing the conversation change based on my work and my visits, and I'm just getting started.
0: You are just getting started. I'm so proud of you. This is so exciting. So exciting. Um, where can people find you, Alisa?
1: Yeah, um, I, they can find me on Twitter, Alisa Schatzman, uh, LinkedIn, at LAP has a LinkedIn. We're about to roll out our social media accounts. Awesome. Our website is LegalAccountabilityProject.org. And I'm at Alisa.Schatzman at LegalAccountabilityProject.org. And I love hearing from people who want to talk about where I am with their administrations or alma maters. I love those law school conversations. They're always fun. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for um, hanging out with me in part
0: two. We'll set up a time to get part three um, on the calendar and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back on the podcast. Have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Suzy Hickson. See you next time.